There are two criminal cases that were in the news this week uh, that I want to discuss. Uh, and we are here with uh, Chicago's most accomplished civil and criminal attorney, uh, Renato Mariotti. He is an amazing uh, lawyer. He's a formal federal prosecutor with the uh, Securities and Commodities Fraud Section of the U.S. Attorney's Office. He's now a partner in the mega firm of Thompson Coburn. He tries cases, handles appeals. He's uh, a legal analyst for CNN. On, and also you'll see him on WGN television. Uh, and he was also a candidate for Illinois Attorney General. He's a friend of the show. Renato, thank you so much for joining us on this Sunday. How are you? Good. Glad to be here. So let's talk first about the grand jury in Georgia. Uh, they've been sitting for seven months. They've heard about 75 witnesses. And to your understanding, can you make it pretty simple as to what you think they are actually, uh, what, what are they actually considering? So I think a lot of us are aware that there were allegations uh, that former President Trump made regarding the election in Georgia. He suggested that it was stolen from him, um, you know, that uh, there was uh, you know, irregularities. He made a lot of very, I think, very specific accusations, which have turned out not to be true. And there was, I think, a fairly infamous phone call uh, in which uh, former President Trump pressured uh, the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, who was also a Republican, to try to you know find votes for him and change the result of the election. Um, I, I believe that a lot of the focus of the grand jury investigation to Georgia is going to be not only on that phone call, but by the surrounding, I would say, pressure campaign uh, by the former president to try to uh, in the in certainly the view of the Fulton County uh, DA, interfere with the Georgia election system and or overturn the result, uh, either through the sort of pressuring of officials by Trump uh, and by others. I mean, I think and she you know she brought in, for example, Lindsey Graham to testify, and then also there was a campaign you know in which Trump, for example, tried to get other parts of the federal government like. Um, the DOJ to um, to uh, influence the Georgia election. So I think that's what her focus is. At what point does a phone call where you're putting pressure, I mean, you're the president of the United States, you know, here you are, the secretary of state, you, you pick up the phone, you've got the president saying, you know, we need to find another 11,000 votes or what, whatever he said. You know, what at what point, in, you know, this is not maybe not a bright line, but is what point is that interfering with an election versus um, him just saying, you know, this is what I'd like to have happen? How do you parse that as a prosecutor? Yeah, that's a really uh, savvy question, and I think a difficult question. The, and one thing that I will say is I think that one of the challenges that um, District Attorney Willis and her team have is that I think the call was a bit of a word salad, okay? It was all <laughs> over the place, and the former president was saying a lot of things that you could take in different ways. For example, at times during the call, it seemed like he was trying to suggest that he truly believed there was fraud and that Ravisberger should get to the bottom of that. At other times, you know, he did, of course, say that he wanted him to find 11,780 votes, very specific number that he wanted him to find uh, to turn turn the election around. I think, you know, there are a number of different statutes that, that Georgia prosecutors are going to look at and how where the line is between criminal or not criminal really depends on the statute that she um, include. So, for example, you know, she could charge this as like solicitation to commit election fraud. And there, 
she would have to prove that, that the, the former president, uh, Donald Trump, was trying to uh, convince uh, Georgia election uh, officials to falsify votes. Right. And I think, you know, I think that, that might be a challenge based on the call as it stands. You know, she she would likely use a lot of the surrounding evidence and material that was assembled, for example, by the January 6th committee to suggest that this was the plan that Trump had all along. Because there were a lot of quotes from his advisors like Steve Bannon and others that they were going to declare victory even if they lost, that sort of thing. There are other However, there are um, other uh, statutes that I think are more narrow uh, that, you know, that for, you know, that she could um, uh, that she could, uh, you know, suggest, for example, she could say, you know, just purely um, a false statement charge, improperly influencing government officials, interference in a primary election, things where the line is more fuzzy. Um, and that would give, I think, a jury more um, of an opportunity to exercise their judgment. And I think part of the debate that's going on right now in the district attorney's office in Fulton County is how they want to indict this case. In other words, do they want to have a very broad indictment? They could charge, you know, I've heard, uh, you know, discussions that she, you know, she and her team might charge you know, RICO, it's like a racketeering scheme, the sort of thing that we use to prosecute uh, organized crime and street gangs and things like that, um, versus, you know, a very narrow charge of some of the more um, modest charges that I've suggested. So I think how that, where that line is drawn, it really depends on how the case is charged. We're here with Renato Mariotti. He is a former U.S. attorney himself, and he is now a partner with Thomas Coburn. Um, you know, if you're a betting person, you know, are there going to be charges here? And, and just, we, I guess we should make sure we understand the, the procedure here. The grand jury issued some sort of report, and then the, the district attorney gets to make that decision as to whether or not there are indictments and what those indictments might be. Is that fair? Yeah, I think the way I would put it, the, the, the report was issued by what's called a special grand jury. And I'm not a Georgia lawyer. I, I'm, I practice here in, in Illinois. But uh, my understanding is that that special grand jury issued the report, and then she's going to have to make a decision, like you said, uh, to as to which which charges to present to a different grand jury to obtain an, an, an indictment. And oh, so, okay. And she's going to have uh, some discretion regarding how she charges this, as you suggested. And if I'm a betting man, I would bet very heavily that there's going to be a charge by um, District Attorney Willis uh, against uh, Donald Trump here. And the reason why is because I, it appears to me from all the sort of words and actions uh, of the district attorney, you know, she's very eager to be on television talking about, you know, her investigation and so on. And I think she's been careful with the words she said, but she's certainly given a lot of uh, indication to me that she is um, um, eager to take this on and eager to be in the spotlight. And I understand that to an extent she's an elected official, but I just, all the signs to me suggest she's going to charge the former president. As I suggested earlier, I think it may be a, a challenging road for her. Uh, she's not necessarily, um, if I was, you know, trying to prognosticate on the, you know, uh, as to what the most challenging threat that Trump has to face, I wouldn't necessarily pick her. But I think 
her team, but I think her team is the most likely to charge. And, you know, you kind of alluded to something that is is interesting to me. And, you know, you were a U.S. attorney and and U.S. attorneys are are different because, you know, in, in, in Georgia, I mean, she's an elected official. I believe she's elected official. I know our, ours. Yes, she, yeah, is. she is. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, prosecutors make their, their case, their names on who they prosecute. And, you know, to some extent, you know, when you take on a big challenge like this and you win, or even if you don't win, people still will remember your name. And is that, how do you feel as a prosecutor? Do you think that that's a, uh, that's a problem that 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 maybe she might be charging this um, because she wants to make her name, get her name out there, and, and use that to to catapult her political or her legal career. Yeah, it's a it's a very very good question, and I'd say that it's always a concern uh, whether prosecutors are elected or not. That you know that that prosecutors are making decisions for the right reasons because. Prosecutors have, I would say, extraordinarily wide discretion on how they use their powers. I mean, we talk a lot, and prosecutors talk about prosecutorial discretion, and essentially that's used as a justification for why broad powers are given to prosecutors. I mean, they can upend someone's life uh, by sending, you know, if I send, send FBI agents to someone's office, that would change the course of their life, potentially, or even just sending someone a grand jury subpoena might cause it to hire lawyers and create a lot of problems for them. And so, you know, uh, those you want to make sure that those judgments are made for the right reasons. And I think it's fair to say that prosecutors can be ambitious um, and elected prosecutors even more so. Um, and it's a concern. Right? And I think that, you know, the, the public, um, you know, that in an election needs to scrutinize how uh, prosecutors are, are exercising their discretion, but you know it, it does mean I think for political figures, and in this case, former President Trump, who I have extraordinary disagreements with, or I, I've been a, a, a very outspoken critic of. Uh, nonetheless, I think um, you know she has very little to lose with the election base in Fulton County uh, regarding her her treatment of Donald Trump, and so uh, you know I think he's gonna. Him and his attorneys, if if he is charged, as I suspect he will be, are going to try to use that in front of the jury and to the judge to try to make arguments uh, that they're being, uh, you know, he's being treated unfairly. Renato, we have a minute here. I think you're going to. Can you hang with us into the next segment? Sure. Okay, great. Because we do have to talk about the Highland Park uh, shooter's father charges this week. But quickly, we only have like just a few seconds here. But is it, picking a jury, is that going to be the whole case? Let's just say that there are charges against former President Trump. And, you know, is picking the jury going to be the key here? Because it seems to me that if you like Donald Trump, you're never going to probably, uh, um, you know, you're not, you're not going to uh, vote guilty on, on him, right? It can, it may be a key here. It really depends. In other words, there are certain jurors, like you said, who would let Trump off the hook no matter what. And by the way, that's part of the challenge that uh, the district attorney's team has. There's just certain witnesses, or excuse me, certain jurors who would never vote to convict. On the other hand, uh, you, you, uh, you may very well get a jury in which they're very fair-minded and, you know, she, she's still going to be in uh, for quite a fight because I think 
there's a lot of argument to be to be had on both sides of this evidence. We're talking to uh, one of the city's most accomplished civil and criminal attorneys, Renato Mariotti. He's a former federal prosecutor. He's a partner of Thompson Coburn. Uh, you can catch his uh, legal affairs column in uh, Political Magazine. Very, very always good. I always like reading him. And you're, he's a Naperville native, graduate of Yale Law School, and uh, a candidate for uh, Illinois Attorney General. Thank you again for staying with us, Renato. Let's talk about the state uh, Lake County State's Attorney charging the father of the Highland Park shooter with reckless conduct. Um, tell us what you know about these charges. Sure. So first of all, uh, it's, it's a significant offense. This is a class four uh, felony. Uh, and essentially, uh, this is the father of the shooter in Highland Park, who, who shares the same name as Robert Cremo, I think is how you say his last name, Robert Cremo, the, the junior versus Robert Cremo, the third. Um, and essentially what happened was he allowed his then minor son uh, to obtain and to, to uh, a FOID card, a FOID card that he otherwise wouldn't have been able to obtain. And the allegation is um, from the from the state's attorney is that uh, Mr. Cremo knew that his son was already you know suggesting that he had violent thoughts. He was already um, is as as he put it, he said that his son already had violent ideations, is the way it's described in the um, indictment. And so, accordingly, um, he is um, holding Mr. Cremo responsible for uh, helping his son acquire that card. And ultimately, I think, essentially asking the jury to hold him responsible in part for his son, the mass murder um, that was committed by his son. Now, you know, when when there is a crime like this that is just it makes everybody angry, you know, there is you're up in Highland Park. It's a beautiful community. It's the Fourth of July. There's a parade. There are kids. Uh, there are generations of families standing along. And, and then we have this horror. And so. You know, this this charge, uh, I, I called it aggressive when I was be doing some commentary on it, and, and, I, and I met with some resistance. And, and when I say aggressive, I just, you don't see charges like this very often. Am I mistaken about that, that it's, I'm not going to say it's unprecedented to charge a father in a case like this, but it's not the norm, is it? Uh, absolutely not, and I think it's fair to raise questions here, just like we did in the last case. I'm trying to be, you know, very fair-minded here uh, i think it's fair to, for for folks to raise questions as to obviously have an elected prosecutor in lake county whether or not um you know this is obviously something that would be very popular because uh, no one uh supports um uh you know shooters and their fathers and i think a lot of people believe that uh, that uh parents should take should have more care should take more care and and everyone should regarding the issue of guns. So I think it's going to be a popular prosecution, and I think it's fair to question the motives there. And what I would say, you know, is that I also think there's a potential here that these were charges that were brought in part to put pressure on the son. I mean, I think that ultimately now uh, the son has got to make a decision. If he wants to go to trial and exercise his rights, which, of course, he has the opportunity to do, uh, and, you know, those are his rights under the Constitution. After all, he, you know, potentially um, is is going to make the uh, state's attorney's office less likely to take it easy on his father. So I think 
you know, it, it, it's also potentially a way for them to get more leverage on that family. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, I, I guess I was thinking about this and someone brought this up to me. And so he, the father signs the FOID card and the kid's underage, right? He couldn't have gotten the FOID card mm-hmm. but for the parent's signature. However, when he uh, uh, shot, uh, you know, allegedly shot, and we have to say that, uh, at the at the parade, he, he the shooter was 21. So... Is there a problem with causation, meaning at some point, if let's just say he, you know, the father didn't sign for the gun, but at some point the shooter could have probably gone out and gotten a gun on his own after he turned 21. So is there a problem with saying that the father's reckless conduct resulted in the shooting that occurred when the kid was 21? Mm -hmm. I think there's there's an an, defense argument to make. I think that's an uh, an argument that I expect the defense to make. Uh, I think that obviously there are also other ways in which you could have firearms other than legally as well. Um, you know, I think it's that said, I would just say if somebody's tried a lot of criminal cases, uh, that that's not a, an argument that's going to appeal to the jury. Right. Very much. Right. So particularly in Lake County. So I would probably be, if I was representing this guy, uh, which I'm not, and, I, and I'm not, not interested, I'm not taking on the case, but, but you know, if, if I was in that situation, I would be asking for a change of venue because I don't think it would be, I think it would be very difficult for this father to obtain a fair trial in Lake County. And separate and apart from that, um, a jury's just not going to have any patience for it. I mean, I think the father's in a tough spot. Well, this isn't the sort of thing that uh, prosecutors usually charge, as you point out, I agree with that. And second of all, I think arguments can be made in many circumstances that it's unfair to send a parent to prison for, you know, uh, the crimes of the son, so to speak. You know, the, the, to me, the, the whether this prosecution makes sense really depends on what Mr. Cremo knew. Now, I will say, you know, he's made a, a number, you know, of, of political statements. I think he had run for public office. Uh, the, the father did, and and was very pro gun. And so, I think that, um, you know, it very well may be that you know he was, uh, you know, interested in his son having a gun and wasn't focused on the potential problems that that caused. Uh, but I, I do think that this is another case in which, this, you know, the, the, there's there's legitimate questions that can be raised regarding the prosecution. And I can and I understand why people are asking those questions. Renato Mariotti is an up and coming lawyer. I guess he's he's already up, and, but he's coming up even more. And he uh, ran for uh, Illinois Attorney General. Uh, he is one of our own here. He's from Naperville. And where can uh, our listeners see your stuff? Because you write really well and you speak really well. Where can we get your wisdom uh, and legal commentary? Oh, that's very kind. So, uh, as you mentioned, I do have a column in Politico uh, magazine. Uh, so if you go to Politico, you'll often see my work on the front page, particularly talking about things that are in the news. Uh, I also have a, a podcast. I actually rebranded it. As it's, compl- it's called It's Complicated with my co-host Asha Ragapa, also uh, a former Yale Law classmate of mine. Um, and then I also uh, am on frequently on CNN, MSNBC, and obviously on, on the radio with you and others as well. Thank you so much for spending uh, part of your Sunday with us. Happy President's Day to you and yours, and I'm sure we'll talk soon.